and that was a really kind of fascinating learning experience in genealogy that sometimes the things that feel like they conflict actually can be true, both of them. On today's episode of the Heritage Hunters, we will be speaking with our guests today about lineage societies and how they have helped with their genealogical research. A lineage society is an organization that recognizes the descent from a single ancestor or couple. There are hundreds of these societies in the United States, each representing a different group of historical individuals. The most well-known of these lineage societies is the Daughters of the American Revolution. The DAR offers accurate, well-documented lineage documents to applicants and can be an invaluable source for a genealogist. Lineage societies are not limited to the United States. The largest European organization is the Order of the Crown of Charlemagne. There are also nationality or ethnic societies, such as the Polish Genealogical Society of America. Nearly every lineage society will ask you to prove the birth, death and marriage dates of every generation, starting with you and going back to the qualifying ancestor. Once you have traced back far enough to join a lineage society, you will likely meet someone who is a distant relation to you. Some benefits of joining a lineage society are member-only resources such as free access to paid websites, libraries, and records, networking with others who can improve your research project, direct contact with others who share your interests, many published journals and publications to aid in your research, many work on civic projects dealing with historic preservation or assisting veterans, many offer scholarships. Our guests today are Josh Sands, who joined the Welcome Society, Tom Kecklin, who attempted to join the Sons of the American Revolution, and Amanda Zambrano, who joined the Daughters of the American Revolution. Josh Sands of Harleysville, Pennsylvania, joined the Welcome Society through his qualifying ancestor, Stephen Sands. He was born 1658 in Lancashire, England. Stephen arrived in the U.S. on the Lamb in 1682. Stephen was a member of the Middletown Meeting in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. The Welcome Society of Pennsylvania was originally limited to the descendants of those who were passengers on the Welcome. Today, membership includes descendants of those who travel with other Quakers to America during 1682. For more information on the Welcome Society, please visit www.welcomesociety.org. It was interesting growing up. My dad really had no idea about his family. Like he knew his like parents, obviously, but really didn't know much about his grandparents and things like that. So that's kind of where I kind of started. I, I originally started researching my mom's side, my grandmother's side, because she's still living, and then found out a bunch about them and like where they came over from Ireland and stuff like that. But then I started diving into like the Sands uh, surname, kind of trying to figure that out a little more. Through the research, I found out that my grandfather, or I think it's like my ninth or tenth grade grandfather, came over 
maybe before winning patent. Just because, you know, starting out, I really did not know anything about that side of the family. One of my relatives actually owned a hotel. It was called Indian Rock Hotel. It was down in the area. And there's an Indian, the Tohican Indian that's still there, I believe. That was part of his hotel at one point. The Welcome Society of Philadelphia, which is four people whose ancestors came over part of the 22 ships with William Penn in the year of 1682. I was able to track the lineage back. The hardest thing for me was really just finding all the birth and death records and the marriage records, but the Quakers did a really good job of keeping those records, and a lot of it's digitized. I really did this during COVID. I really had no idea that my family was Quakers until, until doing this search and stuff. The Middletown Monthly Meeting is where they were members, and they, if you go to the thing, they actually had their tricentennial, and it mentioned a bunch of the early members, and one of my, my ancestors was actually named as one of the early members um, of the meeting house, which is kind of neat. The original process is you apply and say, there's a whole list that you have to fill out that actually asks for references. I had to submit two statement references from people I worked with since I was actually living outside of the Philadelphia area. I've never met any of the members before. And then it actually asked for proof of eligibility from first generation all the way through. And the second part of that was after they said, hey, We'll accept your proposal to submit your application, and then you had to submit all the additional information. So it was proof of eligibility, it was first generation candidates must submit both baptism certificates and any other acceptable documents showing parentage. So with the Quakers, it was kind of nice because they kept really great records, but a lot of the more recent ones was just you know going through the Pennsylvania archives and looking and seeing the birth and death certificates and the marriage records. But you had to submit all of that. And I, like, the PDF I submitted was. I'm going to say like 80 some plus pages. Uh, it was pretty extensive. Here's the initial instructions for candidate lineage form. This is like the initial form you fill out. And then it asks for where the information's coming. So for probably forks, is it original records? So like Bible records, um, is it tombstone inscription? So they, they just want to make sure that it's actual factual information that you're submitting to them. And then you have to submit the candidate form, your references for where you found out that your um, answers came over from. So George McCracken's book, The Welcome Claimants, actually is a fantastic book. It goes over everything that ever came over um, on 1682. But then it goes into this and it goes into all of my like information. It's the marriage records, the birth records. Like This is the, the form you submit and it goes all the way back to my ancestors that came over. But you have to submit this form and then all of their supporting documents as well. You're submitting all of the PDF formats of everything, and it goes all the way back, and you can see the Quaker records. It eventually starts getting into here's some of the marriage records from Philadelphia. It eventually starts getting into the Quaker records, and some of these are just handwritten records that are being digitalized and are scanned on the Ancestry.com. But you have, to, you have to go make copies of all this stuff, underline like the dates, the years in red, and then submit this as a PDF to them. That way, they can have their genealogist look over everything. Are there any other societies that you would consider joining? Yeah, so part of the research I actually found out that one of the Richard Sands's was a, he was a member of Ben Salem Associators, which is, you know, part of the militia. And being a Quaker, he was actually that, like, he was the last person that was a Quaker in the family. After that, they became Baptists. So I think that was part of it, that he joined, like, essentially the militia. And there's records of that as well. So maybe, like, I was thinking maybe the, the Sons of the American Revolution, because I could join through him. There are several events coming up that we want to share with you. On January 12th, a virtual tour of the Hidden Archives at Bolger Heritage Center 
at the Ridgewood Public Library is taking place from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. This event is free, but registration is required. In this rare opportunity, you will get a glimpse of what the Bulger Heritage Center has to offer. Learn how to research your home, find information on your ancestors, and gain insight into the history of Ridgewood, New Jersey. In addition, you'll get a chance to view their newly restored Sanborn Fire Insurance Maps. For additional information, please visit the events page of the Genealogical Society of Bergen County at www.njgsbc.org. On January 15th, Laurel Hill Cemetery is hosting the Hot Spots and Storied Plots General History Tour from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Tickets are $12. In life and in death, we all have stories to tell. And what better place to hear the tales of wonder than Philadelphia's most famous home of the dead? This talk provides an informative overview of Laurel Hill's long and colorful history, which includes many of the marble masterpieces, stunning views, and legendary stories that afford the cemetery its wow factor. Hot Spots and Story Plots is the perfect introduction for anyone who enjoys beautiful art, scenic nature, and fascinating history. Laurel Hill's experienced cemetery guides offer visitors their own unique perspective. This tour departs from Laurel Hill Cemetery's gatehouse entrance at 3822 Ridge Avenue, Philadelphia, PA 19132. For additional information, please visit www.thelowhillcemetery.org. On January 19th, the Genealogical Society of New Jersey presents From Deeds to Dirt, Case Studies and Analyzing Research with Maps by Carrie Taplin. Our ancestors existed in a time and a place. Maps are one way to give the names and dates in our genealogical research more life, context, and excitement. Where did they live? What would they have seen? How did they get around? Carrie Taplin will examine various ways researchers can use maps to trace their ancestors and their research. Some of the topics she will cover are a look at different types of maps, tech tricks for using maps such as Google Maps My Places, using maps to determine possible migration routes, using collected research to recreate neighborhoods, using maps as an alternative or additional research log, online map collections, many case studies to illustrate using maps for analysis. For additional information and registration, please visit www.gsnj.org. Tom Kecklin of Levittown, Pennsylvania, tried to join the National Society of the Sons of the American Revolution through his ancestor, John Clausen. John Clausen was born 1737 and died 1815 in Pennsylvania. Tom had issues proving his descent from John Clausen due to a missing marriage certificate. Let's listen to his application experience. Washington Crossing Chapter of the Sons of the American Revolution. And who was the ancestor that you tried to join by? His name was John Clausen. When was he born? Long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how I found out about this John Clausen was that he's in my tree way back, already passed muster, what they call passed muster, and was certified to be in the revolution, and all I had to do was hook up with some of his relatives, which I did. 
He was born in 1738 in Pennsylvania. That's 1815 in Pennsylvania. I, I always tell people, they want to know, do you have a certificate for this? Or do you have a... Uh, you know, I, we're talking about the 1700s. They didn't make a certificate for every occasion that you would uh, come upon. So, first of all, he's a right with a feather. Well, I have a whole lineage that goes back. So, John Clausen was your third great-grandfather. Yes. What was the application process like? It was cumbersome, believe me. I, I filled out the, the application, and I went to one of the meetings, and they have a genealogist, and he shut down all my documents, and, and after I supplied all my documents to him, I thought I was pretty thorough. I'm going to read to you a letter that he sent me. Tom, I looked over your application and the documents you provided when I have the following comments. I need your birth certificate and wedding certificate. I also need your wife's full name and place of birth and date and date of your marriage. I need a birth certificate and death certificate for Augustus Kettler, which is my father, and also for my mother. I also need their marriage certificate. Both Thomas DeWire and Addie Hubbard are named in the daughter of the baptism certificate which you provided. You also provided Addie's death certificate. You need to provide a death certificate for Thomas. They weren't even married. Which should list his parents. But first of all, he's not in the lineage as we were going to get to the guy that's the, the revolutionary guy. So why is why is he irrelevant at all? Anyway, should list his parents. Also, you need to provide a marriage certificate for Tom and Addie. Does not exist, never married. The problem is that Addie's death certificate lists her father as Thomas, not George. Well, I'm sorry, because I have a certificate here, and he is right, he did say Thomas. That was her husband's name, her so-called husband's name, not her father. Anyway, that was a problem in the certificate, not in the people. You need to find out some other documentation to, to clarify that. Addie's mother is listed as Ruth Price, that's correct. Your matches, your application as is more important as that, a, that the line you are attempting to connect through. Zara Price Zachariah is not listed as Ruth's father on her death certificate, but William is. Now, you got to remember this is back in about 1860. Also, her mother's maiden name is listed as Miller, not Robbins. Well, there was a, he was married twice. And I have documents of both of those. It says Ruth Ann Price. His parents were Zachariah and Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Their last names. So I wrote in here Miller, because that was her name. It makes it seem as Ruth Price is not descended the way your application sets it out. Find a grave is not an acceptable document for establishing genealogy in the SIR. You need to find a newspaper obituary or will or other acceptable document that links Andrew Price and Mary. Mary Clawson to Zachariah Price. But this is moot if William Price is the real ancestor. He was the son. He was the guy who was living in the house for him. This guy he was reading my documents and he was getting them all twisted up. The John Clawson document, which is taken from the GR genealogical and memorial history of state of New Jersey, Miss Andrew Price's wife as Allery. And the other is Mary, that was a, a typo. Allery is supposed to be Mary. 
need to go back to the source document and see if this is a typo. Here's John Clausen is married to Barbara, yet your source document states her name was Sarah. I know this sounds like a lot of documentation, but you know, what you need in order to pass muster at national, which means it's the National Society. The National Society of the Sons of the American Revolution is the largest male genealogical society in the United States. Any male 18 years or older who can prove lineage from a patriot of the American Revolution is eligible for membership. The SAR is dedicated to promoting patriotism and preserving American history. For more information about the Sons of the American Revolution, please visit www.sar.org. The oldest lineage society in the United States is the Society of the Cincinnati, which was founded in 1783 by officers of the Continental Army who served in the American Revolution. The Society promotes public interest in the American Revolution through its library, museum collections, publications, and other activities. It is a patriotic, hereditary society whose present-day members must be descended from an original member an officer who died in the service, or an officer who qualified for membership but never joined. Original members include George Washington, King Louis XVI of France, Commodore John Berry, Aaron Burr, Alexander Hamilton, Thaddeus Kosciusko, the Marquis de Lafayette, to name a few. The only U.S. President to be a hereditary member was Franklin D. Pierce. For additional information, please visit www.societyofthecincinnati.org Amanda Zimbrano of New York State joined the Daughters of the American Revolution through her ancestor, Jacob Snyder. Jacob lived from 1727 to 1794. Like the Sons of the American Revolution, Daughters of the American Revolution is dedicated to promoting patriotism and preserving American history. Any woman, 18 or older, who can prove their lineal descent from a patriot of the American Revolution is eligible for membership. For more information about the Daughters of the American Revolution, please visit www.dar.org. So my name is Amanda Zambrano. Uh, my maiden name is Shine, and uh, originally from Northwest Ohio, I live in upstate New York now. So this has kind of been an on and off thing. I have an uncle who was like very, very into it. So I remember lots of um, family gatherings growing up where he would, you know, he'd pull out all of his research and most of us would go, oh, it's, it's the crazy genealogy uncle, right? Um, but the more I listened to his stories, the more I kind of got interested. Um, and then I went through a phase shortly after I graduated from college where I kind of was like determined to find some sort of famous, wealthy, right? Like I'm descended from royalty and that for most people goes nowhere, right? Like most of us aren't unless you go so far back that you can't really document anything. My grandmother uh, was the first person that I ever remember hearing about in my family who had mental health challenges. Uh, she, I, re I remember my mom telling me that she described having panic attacks um, back in the 1950s. Her grandma, her doctor said, "You have to get out of the house and get a job." 
And if your husband has a problem with it, you have him call me. You just, you have to get out of the house. And that was when I started digging, um, looking to see what other stories I could find that made me feel like I wasn't existing in this sort of bubble of like living in 21st century sort of first world problems, right? Um, and so that was kind of, that's where it started for me. Um, and my grandmother was a Snyder. So, um, and then my Patriot ancestor for the DAR was also a Snyder. So that's her line going all the way back. And that was, so it was researching her and her parents that kind of led me down this track towards um, applying for the DAR. My ancestor's name was uh, Jakob Schneider. He and his family came from the Palatinate in Germany. They were what we might call like German brethren or Dunkard, they would have been very similar to what we think of as Mennonite or Amish today. And when I started digging, kind of turned up this tombstone that had been reset for him honoring his service in the war. And I was talking to my uncle and he was like, nope, can't be true because the the folks from the Palatinate, the German uh, brethren were pacifists. They didn't, they wouldn't have fought. So I kept digging, thinking like, there's got to be something to this, right? And so what I found out was when I started looking through the DAR records is that he didn't actually fight. He owned a grist mill and a large farm and through the grist mill was able to provide supplies to the Continental Army and then housed the army, at least a portion of it, on his property. So he gave them freedom to kind of set up camp there. And for that service, they recommended that he be give a given a lieutenancy in the Virginia militia. So it was this really interesting, like, I felt like I had conflicting facts, right? Everything that we knew about his religious tradition said there's no way he could have participated. But as we started looking at records, it, it came out that both things were true. And that was a really kind of fascinating learning experience in genealogy that sometimes the things that feel like they conflict actually can be true, both of them. I had a ton of help from our local chapter. So um, what I did was they filled out a form on the DAR saying, I think this is my ancestor. And um, so I'd like to start that process. And they connected me with the Catherine Schuyler chapter here in our county. And so I started working with one of their sort of trained folks who they, they go through training, many members go through training to help assist other people in their documentation. And what I found was that if you are lucky enough to have an ancestor who's already been documented, your process becomes easier. So you just have to go back, like you have to find the connecting generation. And so that helped me because Back in the 70s, there had been a distant relation who had done a lot of work on the Snyder family. So I had lines that took me to the ancestor who emigrated to Ohio from Virginia. And the Virginia application came to his father. So what I really, all I had to do was find the document that connected them. And then I had to track down all of the documentation because all I had was like a family lineage book. I didn't have... I had to submit three vital records for the first three generations. So myself and my parents and my grandparents, and then at least one vital record that proved parentage all the way back to, to connect them. And I'm really indebted to the work of other genealogists. So I found, I found a work done on the, on the family 
by a man named Thomas Stephen Neal. And he had found my connecting piece. He'd found an estate document that connected the son to the father. And so it was actually easier for me to do some of my earlier generations because of work of others. Actually, my hardest generation were my grandparents. So you have to have birth certificate, death certificate, and marriage certificate for both parties in your, in your first three generations. Well, my grandmother eloped. She zipped out of state with my grandfather, and I didn't have a marriage date. I didn't have a marriage certificate. And to complicate matters, she married a second time after my grandfather passed away. So then I had a, yet another marriage that I had to document. And I was kind of at the end of my rope. Like, I cannot find documentation of her marriage. Uh, Her parents didn't approve. So it was kind of one of those family things that we didn't talk about. And then one day on a kind of offhand, like, I'm feeling really desperate and I don't know what else to do. So I ran a search again on the same search engine I had run. I don't know how many times. And they had apparently added some new records for the state she was married in. And it was like, there it is. Like it's, there it is. I was so excited. I'm like, I'm texting my mom and I'm texting my aunt and I'm like downloading documents. And uh, then in conjunction to that, I did eventually find a newspaper announcement as well. So I, I did eventually track down all the documents I needed, but that was, you know, for 1920s, you would think those would be easy records to turn up. And it, it wasn't because of the of her personal context. One of the things that I discovered was my great-grandmother. So this would be, not my great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother also had a second marriage, which I, I was telling my, my aunt about this. And my aunt is significantly older than my mom. So she has a lot of memories of her great-grandparents that my mom doesn't have. And I said, well, yeah, so I know she got married a second time. And my aunt was like, no, no, she didn't. And I'm like, but, but yes, she did. (laughs) I'm like, I've got the marriage certificate. I've got the, like, I've got her burial information that says who her husband was. And I don't know what happened there, but it was like, nobody in the family ever talked about it or knew about it. And so obviously I didn't know. And so <laughs> and my aunt was like, she was such a proper lady. And we always referred to her by her, like her first married name, not her second one, which would have been kind of unusual. Nobody has any memories of the second husband. So I don't, I wish I knew the story there. I would give anything to know the story. We've speculated that maybe they came on hard times during the depression. You know, she was a widow. He was a widower. We wonder if maybe he lost his farm and needed, like, just needed someplace to live. Maybe they were just both old and lonely. We, we don't know. But that was one that was, was not just a surprise to me. It was a surprise to my whole family. Yep. I, so, I also found out that my grandmother lied about her age on her, on her marriage certificate. So they lived in Ohio where you had to be 21 to get married without parents' permission. But they eloped. They went to Kentucky where you... I don't think Kentucky had any rules at all, right? Like, because getting married young was pretty common (laughs) in Kentucky. But she lied and told them she was 21 years old, which was not true. And my mom was horrified. She was like, oh, my mother would never do something like that. She really valued honesty. And I'm like, well, I don't know. When you're 19 and you're running away to get married, you you might do things that um, you wouldn't otherwise do. Really, DAR is a service and education 
group. So it really is about kind of giving back to the community through educating about the American Revolution. But the ben- the side benefit of that is I get to learn a lot too. And at our last meeting, the state regent came in and she gave a presentation on a project they've been working on, sort of mapping General Lafayette's last sort of victory tour through the United States. So they've been working on erecting like historical placards at different places that they have been able to document that he stopped throughout the state of New York. I had no idea that even happened. So learning those kinds of things is really fascinating. They have a book club where they, at least my chapter does, has a book club. So we focus on works that were written either during the American Revolution or about the American Revolution. So I'm looking forward to participating in that. Uh, I think our first one's in January. In terms of genealogical research, they have one of the largest genealogical databases in the country. It's substantially large. Having those resources available to me, and some of them are available to the general public. Anyone can get on their website and say, hey, I think such and such ancestor might have served. Or, you know, I've got this document that shows that his widow got pension. They can plug that information in and it will show whether or not that patriot has already been documented, which was how I got started. I just kind of was like, hey, let's see if Jacob Snyder's in here because other people are saying that, you know, that he was. But one of the things I've done with that is I've gone through other family lines looking for other potential patriots. So, which means that uh, as I work on those lines, I can file what's called a supplementary application. So I can associate myself with multiple patriots, but it also gives me all of the resources that the DAR offers to offer training. So once I have my membership number, because I'm so new, I don't even have my membership number yet. But once I have that, I can do uh, new member training, which not only kind of gives training about like how the organization works, but also the number of ways that you can use the different services that they provide, particularly genealogical services. I know some of the women in my chapter have gone down to Washington, D.C. to use their use their records right there on site. And that's probably a few years down the road for me in terms of where I am in life. (laughs) But having those resources available to me, especially as I try to work on documenting other patriots in my family lines, that's really exciting to me to have those available. So, I mean, being from Ohio, I've got at least a handful of union vets in my my lineage. So that might be one I would consider... Um, I've even considered starting one for my own, like one of my own family lines. Not a whole lot of work has been done on my dad's side. My, my aunt has done a little, but not a whole lot. So I would love to kind of be the one who gets that going and start finding, you know, long lost cousins who might want to join me and uh, doing some documentation and joining together that way, you know, after my dad's mom passed away the family gatherings they kind of start to like break up right so and I hope that maybe you know if we have a society going we can turn to something like family reunions again and bringing cousins together that never get a chance to meet I was eligible to join the daughters of the union veterans of the civil war through my ancestor George Rentschler George was born 1838 in Legelshurst Germany and died in 1885 in Philadelphia Pennsylvania George joined the 17th Regiment of the Missouri Volunteers, Company B, on September 12, 1861, known as the Western Turner Rifles. George was part of the Philadelphia Turners, a German athletic group. Upon the outbreak of the Civil War, the club formed a battalion from its shooting section to fight in the Union Army. 
In total, over 120 members served in the Army during the war. When Missouri petitioned for volunteers, the Philadelphia Turners stepped up and sent men from their group. In April of 1862, George suffered what the Army called a nervous fever and subsequently developed dropsy. He suffered from severe abdominal pains in an Army hospital near Helena, Arkansas, for two months before he was honorably discharged on July 29, 1862. I thought my application may not be accepted because among the papers in George's service file was a notice that they believed he had deserted. In reality, he had been left behind in Helena, Arkansas when his regiment had moved on. Only when his wife Catherine had applied for his pension after his death was this corrected in Washington, D.C. The DUVCW was formed to unite all female descendants of Union veterans to, quote, perpetrate the memories of our ancestral fathers who served in the Civil War, to honor their loyalty and their unselfish sacrifices to preserve the Union, and to keep alive the history of those who participated in that heroic struggle for the maintenance of our free government, end quote. For additional information on DUVCW, please visit www.duvcw.org. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Heritage Hunters. If you would like to be on the show, please visit www.heritage-hunters.com or email us at 2heritage.hunters at gmail.com. That's the number 2heritage.hunters at gmail.com. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. Please also leave us a review. By leaving a review, you help us create the best show possible, providing content that you will enjoy. This has been a CNC production recorded and mixed by me, Barbara Jean May. Please join us next month on Heritage Hunters.